If you have a copy of the scriptures or your device, I want you to turn with me to uh, John's Gospel, chapter 13. And, and I realize some of you are new to the Bible. The Bible is broken into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the first four uh, books of the New Testament are what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The way I look at it <clears throat> is four different camera angles of the life of Jesus. And <clears throat> so uh, we want to look at John chapter 13 right quick. And so allow me to read, and I'm going to read through verse 20 so you can follow along. It says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet, and Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Verse 19. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Uh, back in the days... 
when my grandmother was alive, I would go over to her house. They lived in the country. My grandfather was a cotton farmer, so it was always uh, interesting to go out to their place out in the country. And I remember my grandmother, she would uh, order from J.C. Penney or Sears catalog, and she would order uh, uh, dress patterns to make her dress. And I would go over there, and she would have the patterns all laid out. You know, they came in a little bitty envelope, but the patterns were all laid out, and she would have the cloth, and she would be cutting the, the patterns. And they'd be all over the place, and the extra cloth would, would be there. But those patterns, <clears throat> the patterns, when you cut and then you sewed them together, would be a dress that she would wear or shirt or, or whatever she may be making. Jesus gave us a pattern. In fact, he says in verse 15, I have given you an example. It's the same thing. I have given you a pattern to follow. And sometimes we as followers of Jesus don't grasp the obvious. And Jesus could not have been more obvious at this particular time. Now, why do I address this today? We're coming to the Lord's Supper. I believe it is vital, and the scriptures teach it, that let a man examine his heart and life before you come to the table. And the night that Jesus was betrayed was this night. And we see that Jesus is about to have the Passover meal. You see, for the, the basic Jew, there were three celebrations that they were mandated to be a part of. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Feast of Passover, which, uh, which takes place here, what Jesus is talking about. And we know that the Passover was in the Old Testament to remind them that God had brought them out of Egypt and freed them from slavery for 400 plus years. And so the feast of Passover, or, or feast of unleavened bread. Second of all was the feast of harvest or the feast of, of uh, when the, uh, uh, the harvest would come in. And, and so the feast of harvest, it, we also call it Pentecost. Because the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost during the uh, Feast of Harvest. And then the last feast was the Feast of Ingathering. And uh, what's really neat, when you read the scriptures, you see the, the, fe the Feast of Passover, which we celebrate with the Lord's Supper, when the death angel crossed over because of the blood that was on their doors. If you don't know these things, that's all right. You, uh, hopefully you'll grasp them. And then the Feast of Pentecost, we see the, where the Holy Spirit came. And the Feast of Ingathering, ultimately, when Jesus returns and takes his church home, okay? So we still see these festivals today. And uh, as Alan said, uh, we don't celebrate very well. The Jews were good at celebration. I, I wish we could get better at, at celebration. But there was two reasons that they had Passover. One was to remind themselves that God was real, that they were his people, and that he delivered them for 400 plus years of slavery 
brought them out of the, uh, the land of Egypt into a promised land. So that was number one. Number two was so that a, a, the next generation that was coming along could hear these stories and could be reminded as well about what God has done. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper today, there's a reason that our children stay in here and we don't uh, have them go off to kids' church because we want them to see, not only to remember what Jesus has done in bringing us out of slavery to sin, but so that we, we can teach our children of the next generation how vital it is that they follow Jesus. And so what we participate in this morning was introduced at, at, in the Jewish realm of Passover, but we see how Jesus changed it to a new covenant. So what we are doing this morning, we have done ever since the church was birthed in the book of Acts, and we will do it until Christ returns. So this is not a unique thing that is just for central. This is for the body of Christ as a whole as we remember and celebrate and teach a new generation about the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus Christ. So what happened is Jesus knew, notice what it says in the scriptures, he knew that his hour had come to depart. What did Jesus know? Well, Jesus had been publicly ministering for three years. He comes to this point, and he knows. He knows the religious leaders are going to turn him in. He knows Judas is going to betray him, and he's going to be nailed to a cross. He's going to be abandoned. He's going to be isolated, and he's going to go through the most horrendous of death you could ever go through. And he saw this as his calling in life. Because many people think, oh, Jesus was just a good teacher, or Jesus was just an example, or Jesus was this, Jesus was that. Let me tell you, why Jesus came, premier, the number one priority, he came to die on a cruel cross for the sins of mankind. That's why he came. And so everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there's a calling and there's a faith, a transfer of faith that we must go through. But here's the deal. Jesus wanted to glorify his Father in everything that he did. But I want you to hear something. When you ask God, or you say you want God to be glorified in your life. And we say that all the time. I want God to be glorified. I want Him to be magnified. I want Him to show forth from my life. I want you to know when you say that, God may have to take you through some humiliating situations so that He can be brought glory. We don't like that. We, we want to think, oh, I come to Jesus, I go to heaven someday, uh, you know, he provides all my needs, forgiveness, redemption, all those uh, words that we use. But ultimately, if he is going to be brought glory, for some of us, he has to break us down. And we go through some humiliating things sometimes. 
So here's a thought for you. When a servant of God is in the will of God, the servant is immortal until his work is done. Now, I know we read Hebrews 11 and say they were on their way to a land that they had not yet seen or not inhabited. Let me tell you something. God is in control. We trust him with our lives. And I know sometimes someone will die and we, uh, a teenager dies or a child dies or a young adult dies and we say, why? Why in the world would God allow that? And you know, I, I don't know. I can't think all in the mind of God. But I do know this. I do know that lives are not cut short. They're just completed. And God is in control of that. So uh, Jesus knew all of this was going to happen. So he wanted to demonstrate his unconditional love for his disciples. So what did he do? He took off his outer garment. He put on a towel. Now, Luke, remember I said you got four different camera angles over this one event. Luke addresses the part that the disciples, the 12 disciples, had just been arguing over who was the greatest. And Jesus was about to face a horrendous cross. He was under such stress and agony of this moment, and his closest followers are debating rank. And so I think he looks at this situation and and maybe there was supposed to be a servant there. Uh, maybe somebody else was supposed to uh, make sure they had water for the washing of their feet. Because you see, why would they have to wash their feet? It's because dusty roads, uh, animal excrement on the roads, uh, all those kind of things. And they would come in the house and a servant or somebody would wash their feet. And so Jesus knew this had not happened. So he takes the most menial task that he can take and he puts a, a, a towel around his, his waist. He takes a bowl full of water and he goes to each disciple. Can you imagine if that you were one of those disciples and you'd just been arguing about rank and order in the disciples? And Jesus takes the most menial task, your Lord and Master, and he kneels down to that first disciple. I don't know who they were, but he kneels down to that first disciple, takes their nasty feet, and he washes them and then towels them off, goes to the next one. And I, I believe you could hear a pin drop. Because all of a sudden they were confronted with their own sin of selfishness and pride. And then he comes to Simon Peter, right? He comes to Simon Peter. I, I've got friends like Simon Peter, and some of you are probably in this room. And, uh, uh, but Simon Peter was almost manic. He, uh, he was super high highs, super low lows. He would go through it. He was a type A, I think, personality. And, and Jesus comes to him. And, uh, and first of all, he asks really a bizarre question. Uh, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, it, yeah. I mean, he'd been washing all the feet. So he, he uh, is there, and, and Peter says, 
Well, you're not going to wash my feet. See, he's all the way over here. You're not going to wash my feet. And then Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Well, what does Peter say? Well, wash all of me then. You know, he's two extremes. I'm kind of a steady Eddie kind of guy, but I've got friends that are extremes. And, uh, and that's the way Simon Peter is. So you're in good company. He, he just would go to extremes. And so Jesus uh, says, for a person that has a bath, all he needs is his feet washed. Now, what does that mean? It means this. And there's a beautiful spiritual picture that I want you to grab before we go to the table tonight, uh, today. And so he says that a person's been bathed. In other words, Peter, you took a bath before you came to dinner. All that's needed is for your feet to be washed. Now, what does that mean for you and me? It means when you came to Jesus with your sins, and you came and said, Lord, please forgive me, become the Lord of my life. I desire for my life to be in you and to follow you and to serve you. When you came to that point, it was like God gave you a washing, okay? He gave you the spiritual bath that you needed. But you know as well as I do that day in and day out, by the time you get home for lunch or whatever, pride, lust, uh, unforgiveness, temper, all those things just kind of spring up and then before you know it, some of that spiritual seed that got cast into your heart this morning gets stolen and you flesh out and you do these kind of things. Well, that is getting your feet dirty. You don't need a bath. I believe that the Lord's Supper allows us as followers of Jesus to keep short accounts so that we're not walking in our own sin, but we're confessing, we're getting right with God, we're getting right with one another, and so that's what it means to wash your feet. And so I would encourage you today, I pray that the Holy Spirit shows you anything in your life that is impure, holding you back from walking with the Lord. Sometimes it's disobedience. I, I've even challenged you on baptism. Maybe that's an area of disobedience but it's a broken relationship or whatever. I think God wants us to take care of those before we come to the table. Keep short accounts of what is going on. So that's when he came to Simon Peter. But there's one other thing that happened in the story that we're not told completely about that I want to address just a moment. All 12 of the disciples were there. That means that the one who was going to betray him to death, Judas, was also there. That means that Jesus went around to each of the disciples and he knelt at the feet of Judas and he knew what Judas was going to do. Those scriptures allude to that. And so he kneels at the feet of the one that's going to betray him and he unconditionally loves and washes his feet. That's an incredible picture to me. 
You know, one of the things that they say about Christians, they say, the world says about Christians today, is how judgmental that we are. We, we're so judgmental. Yes, we have a moral standard, but, but how you go about living that out, the world sees that at judgment so often, and sometimes the world just isn't going to understand. But we've got to be careful about coming across with a judgmental spirit instead of loving people unconditionally. And not that we agree with their sin by any stretch. And so Jesus is there at the feet of Judas washing his feet. That, it's convicting for me. Because most of us in this room would say, somebody says, are you prejudiced? And, and we would all say, oh, I don't think I'm prejudiced, but I think every group of people struggles with prejudice. Not just racism, but uh, uh, other eth- ethnic things, money, uh, poverty, homelessness, um, Aggies, Texas, you know, whatever. <laughs> There's a prejudice that exists that uh, we don't want to admit so often. And I think the Lord is challenging us by what is not written here in that he knelt at the feet of Judas. And I think the challenge is how are we going to unconditionally love this world in our day? Here's my challenge to you this morning. Here's your so what. First of all is this. Is there anything in your life? Are you willing to go before the Holy Spirit and say, search me, O God, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me? Are you willing to do that today? And are you willing to get right? It's one thing to confess. It's another thing to repent and change that. And maybe you have a broken relationship or maybe God's just put somebody on your heart you need to love on. And so I I challenge you, number one, with that. Number two is this. Jesus said, I've given you an example. I've given you a commandment, basically, that you are to wash each other's feet. Now, does that mean we need to carry bowls around and towels? And I've been a part of a foot feet washing things before I've seen them at weddings different places I I don't think it's necessarily the bowl and the towel that bring the power to that moment it's the heart of humility and I'm willing to love on you I'm willing to lift you higher than myself and uh, maybe God is putting somebody in your heart that that you, need, you don't need to go and take their shoes off, but you need to go and give them a word of affirmation and encouragement today and just thank them or pray for them and lift them up because we are better together. And then uh, thirdly, I want to challenge you in this area. Is there any prejudice that you have in your life? I mean, uh, maybe it's racial. Maybe it's... Uh, a financial, maybe it's, uh, you know, any number of things. But are you willing to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to stick close to you, but show me how to unconditionally love people. When I played football back in the day, um, we 
had leather helmets and, and that kind of thing. No, not, not true. Uh, that's why I have mental problems today. Uh, but uh, um, I had the privilege of, at my high school, um, I made the varsity as a sophomore. Now, a lot of things uh, I didn't know about making the varsity because I'd always been on the undergrad teams, you know, JV and uh, younger teams and that kind of stuff. And, And you get, you know this, when you play on the younger teams, you get the hand-me-downs from the varsity, right? You get uh, pads handed down, helmets handed down, everything's handed me down. And then I got on the varsity and, as a sophomore and new helmet, new pads. I mean, and, and uh, one of the greatest things that I didn't know existed was the pregame meal. They fed us before the game. I, I figured if we got to travel to Temple or Bryan or Colleen, they would feed us after the game. But I didn't know there was a pregame meal. And I thought, man, this is worth being decent at football just to get a pregame meal. And uh, uh, it was a good meal. And, and so we would go. But the meal had purpose. The purpose of the meal was, number one, to, as a team, to build camaraderie and fellowship among the team. Because we're about to go into battle together. And so we're about to go into battle together. So let's spend time encouraging and being with one another and building the cohesiveness of the team. Number two, it, uh, it, it, it allowed the coaches to do some last-minute coaching. They would come around and talk to you. Remember this, Mark, when they do this, you need to do this, and blah, blah, blah. And so it was an encouragement from the coaches to be able to coach at that point. So we had the pregame meal, which was for camaraderie and some last-minute coaching before we went into battle. The Lord's Supper, I want you to see it as a pregame meal. I want you to see the Lord's Supper is for us to come together in community and camaraderie and fellowship, true spiritual fellowship built around the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and allow it to be a time of coaching by the Holy Spirit and and those that teach in your life so that you're going to go into the world and make a difference because the world is going to hate you is what Jesus said. You're going to be in a battle and in that battle you need to be prepared. And so when we come to the Lord's table today, We are coming saying, Lord, please prepare us for what we're going to face in a world that is aggressively coming against us as followers of Jesus.